Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, pray, Lord, that you would um, open uh, our hearts and our minds to your word. We pray, Lord, that you would open our ears, that we might receive, um, we might receive the gift of your word. Uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher um, this evening. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you know me at all, you know that I am not a sports fan at all, although I have been watching the Atlanta Braves this season, which has been a lot of fun. But in high school, I was not a sports guy. I was always struggling to sort of fit in, and the one place that I could fit in was in art class. So I took every, every one of my electives just about in high school were art classes, um, and, I, and I loved it. My senior year was a, called Studio Art, which is where we could pretty much do whatever we wanted in art class as long as Mr. Oswald approved it, which he most certainly usually did. Well, one semester he had a uh, student teacher, uh, and she uh, gave me and my friends an endless amount of material for all kinds of ridicule and joking and jesting. She was a very strange person, and she rarely made any sense she would walk around the classroom and give some critiques and some pointers uh, as she went from table to table. And one day she came to our table with my friends and uh, she started telling us a story about meeting Jesus. Now, before you get excited, this isn't a story of this uh, strange lady telling us how we could all know Jesus. No, she was telling us a story about how Jesus knocked on her door one day and came into her home and started a conversation with her. And then finally, he asked if he could wash her, his feet in her toilet. That's funny. We thought that was funny. We all kind of exchanged glances, and as soon as she walked on to the next table, we started snickering and joking, of course. But as I was preparing the sermon this week, I thought about that story. I thought about that lady. Because I was reminded of uh, that whole incident because the gospel passage I just read mentions welcoming Christ as a stranger. So this uh, woman had certainly welcomed someone into her home, even if it was only in her own mind. But was it Jesus? At 17 years old, I thought probably not, that she was bordering on blasphemy. But after reading our gospel passage, I'm not quite so sure. Today, we continue our sermon series on the core values of Mission St. James. And we've covered the first three at this point using the metaphor of a house. So biblical orthodoxy in the first week was our foundation. Anglican spirituality was the, uh, constructed the rooms of our house. And last week, we talked about communal discipleship, which describes the inhabitants that live in this house. And so today, we're going to be looking at our front door, which is relational hospitality. At Mission St. James, we want to receive the stranger both in our church and in our homes, not in order to add to our numbers, but in order to introduce them to Jesus. And of course, that begins with each one of us. And at this point, most of us are still getting to know one another. 
uh, were a little bit, to some extent, strangers still. But as we practice hospitality among ourselves, we must always remember to welcome, welcome the stranger into our community. So the readings this evening are not prescribed in our lectionary, if you may have noticed, if you study the lectionary, but hopefully the theme is sort of discernible. We began in the Genesis passage with the hospitality of Abraham. Our New Testament text from Hebrews actually alludes to that event when we are told to offer hospitality. And although the gospel text covers a lot of ground, we learn that welcoming the stranger is in some way welcoming Christ himself. And of course, our psalm praises the loveliness of our true home, the house of the Lord. And so I'm going to try to weave these together to give us a theological vision of hospitality and what that vision means for Mission St. James. Well, our Genesis text is full of questions. We find Abraham at the heat of the day, standing by the tent door, and he's being visited by three men. He immediately bows down to them and addresses at least one of them. It's not clear in the passage, but he addresses one of them as Lord. Now, this word Lord is a translation of the Hebrew word Adonai. You might know that. Later, in the book of Exodus, God tells Moses that his name is Yahweh, or I am that I am. But, however, to honor the third commandment not to take the Lord's name in vain, Yahweh is replaced throughout the Old Testament with the word Adonai. And when this happens, most English translations will type the word LORD in all caps to let you know that that's what it's translating. It's God's proper name behind that translation. Um, the uh, printout in your bulletin doesn't quite reflect what everything that's going on here, but if it did, you would tell, you would notice that it's not what's going on here when Abraham addresses these men as LORD. But the word that is being translated there is a form of Adonai, which was used to refer to God. So putting all of that together, this just means that Abraham is addressing either one of these men or all of them as God. Now, historically, scholars and theologians and even the fathers of the church debated on what is going on here. There's a lot of interpretations and opinions, and one says that this is an early revelation of the Holy Trinity, and that by calling them all Lord in the singular, collectively, Abraham is acknowledging the oneness of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Others take their cue from our Hebrews passage that says that these are three angels. If you look on the image in the front of your bulletin, it's a famous icon painted by um, Andrei Rublev, and it's an icon of our Genesis passage. And if you notice on there, you'll see, you can kind of see that those, uh, all, the three figures there have wings. It's kind of indicating that they're angels. So this is where we get this, this idea that they are being visited by angels. And still others say that this is an example of what we call a theophany or an appearance of God. In some, in some ways, this could be the pre-incarnate Jesus appearing before Abraham in this event. 
But it doesn't really matter how we describe this event. The text explicitly tells us there in verse 1 that the Lord, which is is the proper name for Yahweh, beneath that uh, word Lord in verse 1, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Now, much more could be said here, but I want us to move on to verses 4 and 5 of the Genesis text. Abraham's plan is to offer these men two things. To water, uh, one, water to wash their feet, and two, food for them to eat. But this is a bit problematic because angelic bodies aren't like human bodies. Apparently, they can wash and eat, which indicates that something very unusual is occurring here. But this is why I decided to share that story of my art teacher, You notice a connection here. Jesus came to her house for what? To wash his feet. So here, Abraham offers to wash the feet of the Lord. And this should remind us of what else? The upper room, when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. So what's going on here? Well, you might remember... This always sticks out to me. You might remember this kind of this strange verse in Luke chapter 10. It's when Jesus is sending out his disciples into the towns and the villages to proclaim the good news and to heal and to cast out demons. And he tells them that those cities that reject them, he says this, go into its streets and say, this is from Luke 10, verses 10 and following, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, and here it is, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. This is a strange verse. What does Sodom have to do with any of this? Well, obviously, Sodom was a terrible place and they rejected righteousness. So those who reject the gospel today are like those at Sodom. And why Sodom will be better off is beyond me, which is why this has always been a really strange passage to me. But if you keep reading in our Genesis text, you'll see that the two of those visitors... Leave Abraham's hospitality. And where do they go next? They go down to Sodom. Now think about this for a second. The Lord comes to Abraham, and what is the first thing he offers to do? You can see it there in in, in verse 4 of Genesis 18. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. So here, Abraham, the man of faith, cleans the dust from off of the Lord's feet. The two angels who proceed to Sodom show up with clean feet. Why? Because of the hospitality of Abraham. He did not reject the Lord, but received him. Thus, when Jesus' disciples are rejected in the villages, they depart with filthy feet which indicates that no hospitality has been shown to them. They arrived as strangers, 
and they go home as strangers. In other words, the dust on their feet is a testimony, a witness to the rejection, not of the disciples, but of Christ himself. Now, I say this to all of you missionaries. I call you missionaries here at Mission St. James. And what I want to say to you is what the writer of Hebrews has said to us. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You see, hospitality is much more than enjoying a nice meal together. It's much more than clearing your schedule for the night and having a few friends over, as wonderful as that is. Hospitality in the Bible indicates a willingness to love and serve Jesus Christ by serving the least of these, strangers. It is perhaps the most tangible way you and I can share the good news of the gospel. And when we turn the stranger away, we send them along with dirty feet. It turns out that the least of these that Jesus mentions in Matthew 25 show up in the last days with either clean feet or dirty feet. And the dust on the feet of those we turned away in this life will be a testimony against us. And we will say, when did we see you a stranger and not welcome you, Lord? And he'll turn to the least and say, well, look at their feet. I told you to wash them and you didn't. I told you to welcome them and you didn't. You sent them on their way. Now, let's take a breath here. The message that I want to get across today is not that you need to keep a bowl of clean water by your front door just in case a weary traveler comes and knocking and asking for a room for the night. That doesn't happen in our culture. You could talk to Brian and Cindy about Ethiopian culture and how important hospitality is, or anyone who's lived in the Middle East or most of the world for that matter. Hospitality around the globe is a huge thing in most cultures. But it's not so much in our culture. Travelers stay in hotels, don't they? They don't knock on random doors like they did in Jesus' day. But we need to take away from this that you and I, living in the United States in the year 2023, are conditioned to have a certain posture toward others. Now, I love living in the South because I think... The word Southern hospitality is a real thing. But even here, it's easy to disregard those we don't really know, isn't it? It's easy to disregard those we do know, for that matter. And I think there are, there are two reasons for this. First, I think we disregard others because we assume they have everything they need. Hospitality requires us to provide something to someone in need. So why show hospitality to folks if they already have everything that they need? It may be true that most folks that we encounter have food and shelter and clothing and transportation and cell phones, but it certainly does not follow that they have everything they need. At our newcomer's dinner last week, someone mentioned the, the loneliness in our culture, and it is far more prevalent than we might think. We're all lonely. 
Hospitality addresses loneliness. Hospitality gives a place for someone to belong who belongs nowhere else. What about the elderly? What about our single neighbors? What about the high school bully, the homesick college student, or the mentally ill? You could fill in the blanks there. We are relational beings. That's what it means to be a human being. There was a time in my life when I assumed that my story, my thoughts, my fears and hopes and dreams and joys and hurts and all of that were so uninteresting to everyone that I kept it all in. But it wasn't until I met folks like Brian and Cindy Dinker and others that were like them, who began, and I began to share who I was with them. And I can't tell you how freeing that is. It's incredibly freeing. Take time to hear someone's story. That's hospitality. Yes, do it over a meal or a pint or a cup of coffee or over a cubicle wall. It doesn't really matter. But give someone a chance to be known. That is a profound need that, of everyone that we encounter. So that's the first thing. The second reason I think we disregard others is because they need far more than we can give. Have you ever had that experience? I think this is the more difficult hurdle to hospitality. I remember early in our marriage, Janie and I had a few friends over to our house, and we invited um, a a young single uh, girl who was attending our church to come be a part of our friend group that that evening. And halfway through the evening, she broke down in a total emotional breakdown right there in front of us all, and we had no idea what to do. We didn't know her. She didn't know us. And we tried to encourage her and to pray for her and to help her with whatever the particular problem that she was upset about was, but nothing would help. We were powerless. And we later learned that she suffered from bipolar depression and had not been taking her medication. She had a need that we couldn't meet. So hospitality is not a silver bullet, but what hospitality does is that it demonstrates the hospitality of our Lord, who quite honestly doesn't always solve our problems or heal our bipolar depression or give us the love life we are longing for. However, he always welcomes us wherever he finds us. This is why he washed his disciples' feet. And this is why he told them to do the same. This is why we are called to show hospitality to others. Because when we do, we acknowledge the dignity and personhood of those we welcome. Beloved, this is the hospitality that he has shown to us. And this is the hospitality that he desires to show to others as well. And he does this through his church. At Mission St. James, we want to be, we long to be a place for the wanderer to dwell. We want to be a home to those who need it. We want to hang a sign on the front door that says, welcome. You and I understand that Jesus meets us where we are, but he doesn't leave us there. We understand that he leads us out of darkness and into light, out of sin and into righteousness. Hospitality does not mean that we endorse sin. It means that we seek the sinner and invite them to the Lord's table, 
to our dining room, remember? The feast of the church. So you've got to walk from the front door to the dining room, right? That is, you've got to repent and receive the Lord as he receives you. But we open that door to the sinning stranger as fellow sinners. And that's our mission. It's our mission to show them to the table of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we do ask, Lord, that you would bless us here at Mission St. James. Bless us with a heart and a spirit of hospitality that we would know and come to understand the depth of how strange we were to you, how hostile we were to you. But you invited us, you welcomed us, you loved us despite all of it. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that as we get to know you, that we would long to know one another and that we would long to welcome others and tell them about you as well. That this place, that this church might be a shadow of the things to come, a place to belong, a place to be known, not just by us, but most of all by you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.